This is EdTech Weekly. I'm your host, Ricky Zager, and my partner, I kind of like to call him the king of tech nerds. He doesn't like that. Mr. Matt Harrison. Matt, do you like that new title or no? No. I do not enjoy that. Okay. Well, we'll think of something maybe a little more appropriate than that. and Maybe somebody could email us something in and, and give us a good nickname for you. If you listened last week, you do know that I had Matt read an awful script and immediately after the show, he threatened to quit unless I hired a professional or changed something. And there was some, there were words exchanged about nicknames. So we decided, you know what? Matt's going to get his own little featured segment and he's going to use his own special take on the tech news story. Uh, We'd like to help you, um, have you help us name the story uh, segment. Email suggestions to edtechweekly at gmail.com. We need something that's kind of quirky, nerdy, techy like Matt, but also super cool. Yeah? What do you think, Matt? I think it should be race car, box, hammer, steen. Right. Well, let's leave it to the other people. Remember, edtechweekly at gmail.com. Listeners, please, uh, let's name, give me a, a nickname for Matt, and why not a nickname for Matt's segment? Let's see if we can get both of them done at the same time. For today, at the same time. At the same time. For today, we'll just call it Matt's special segment, but help us make a better name than that, please. All right, Matt, let's get started with the Ed Tech headlines of the week. Technical.ly reports that Appernet, an online learning platform that works with universities and companies like Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, raised $1.8 million in its latest round of funding. Uh, EdTech companies are becoming a pretty large focus of investors recently, and Appernet is the most recent beneficiary. Uh, Their company provides online learning solutions for universities and for businesses, and it's going to be using this money to expand their personnel and to boost customer acquisitions. Um, There appear to be a lot of people willing to throw money into EdTech companies as of late, Matt. Um, Well, I think it's pretty cool because it's a a new bend on the way that um, we can look at education for um, university students as well as businesses um, and trying to bridge that gap. That's what I took more out of it. I think it's awesome that more money is being put into different ideas about how to create an educational platform. Um, All of that stuff's great. What it reminds me of is it's perhaps a bit anecdotal, but um, a friend of mine works for a large uh, restaurant chain and essentially through the 2008 economic collapse, it really shed light um, with that group on how proper business training really kind of helped churn. Um, So instead of paying people less and not really training them, they actually learned that if you pay them a little bit more and or train them better instead of just weird VHS where it's some 70s star wipe about how to wipe a table down correctly, uh, they were learning that they were getting their, um, their employees to stick around longer and then actually participate in the business culture. So it seems like in this case, education and business blending may be a good thing for education in general? I think it's good for both. I think that there's a lot of business philosophies that go into education and training that I I say are avoided at times um, when it comes to education, and I think vice versa. And I think bridging that gap more and more is going to bring better, more fluid ideas into how we teach people of any age and any background. Well, that sounds good to me. In our next story, Ed Surge shares some predictions for the future of ed tech. And it does that by looking at the session proposals by, for Southwest South by Southwest Edu 2016. 
And they basically took the words used in proposals and some of the main topics and tried to assess what shifts might be coming in the next years for EdTech. Apparently, there is a decline in the word tech and an increase in words like create and hands-on. A lot of sessions about massive open online courses or MOOCs are also on the rise. Uh, these, to me, indicate a shift more to project-based learning um, through a much larger community that education is then education is previously supported. Uh, Matt, MOOCs are certainly on the rise. Are we chasing our tails as we try to find the magic bullet for education, or do you think that these trends are actually helping shape the future in a more concrete way? Um, I think it's kind of both. I mean, there's no, there's not going to be a magic bullet for education. I think as demographics shift and change and, you know, households that kids are coming from changes, um, so is the education balance. So are the, you know, the way, um, I immediately read this story and then thought of World of Warcraft or Dota. Uh, those are massive multiplayer online platforms that, you know, five, ten years ago, you know, those were all the rage for gamers. I never really actually played them, um, but my brother did, and he was really into World of Warcraft, and that kind of shifted him into more online learning when he went to college uh, about ten years ago. So I think we need to start looking at, or education as a whole needs to start looking at, what are students looking at today um, and then trying to get something that's along that platform in the future? Um, that's interesting. That's interesting, Matt. I don't think I ever thought of World of Warcraft in that way, kind of shaping things the way they are. I've, I've looked at, you know, when I took my master's, um, we talked about World of Warcraft and we went in and messed around with it a little bit, but I never really sort of thought of it as a way that it's sort of shaping education in the future. I wonder then if if Minecraft and those types of things are going to be what's shaping the next few years of how oh, we educate. Minecraft is already there. Um, there's a skin. Um, my buddy Nate, who works at USF, he's using a skinned version of um, Minecraft that is Minecraft education. And they basically took out a lot of the things that are unnecessary. And then it's basically how you structure your own classroom, an online classroom, and look at how people, you know, uh, sort of, correspond with one another in that whole area. So these potential teachers actually have the ability to make mock classrooms and then the teachers interact with each other throughout that. And it's just another way that people can speak and interact with one another. Um, so those things are already there. I mean, when I, when I, you know, I kind of think of the decline of the word tech and look at the words like create and hands-on, it reminds me of just predictive modeling. And I, I, I think that it's great to look at it, you know, from here on out and say, hey, you know, the word tech is down and create and hands-on are coming up. Um, but I, I, I think that that probably has a lot more to do with, you know, the direction of where the money's coming from in this. I mean, the article talks about, you know, how it's 49% of, you know, teachers that are going to these uh, conferences and it's only 29% of business. But on the first year of, you know, South by Southwest EDU, I can guarantee that number was skewed vastly differently. I mean, one outnumbered probably the other one 10 to 1. Um, so it, I would be more interested in finding out what that model looks like as far as what's the threshold and where is most of the money coming in and when are you going to start seeing larger shifts and what are the attractive words because tech is a very attractive word, but there is a period in time and it's kind of touched on in the other you know, segment there's a part where creating hands-on is more important than tech itself. So how are you getting people to come into tech, and then how are you going to help them create 
and then build something hands-on that makes a tangible product that they can use. Yeah, certainly interesting, and it's going to be exciting as the years progress here to see exactly how that works together and blends together. Our next story is from Recode. It's another story about the diversity gap in computer science. We've seen a lot of these. Uh, The article notes that although the number of women in these types of jobs are a little under 30%, a recent DARPA robotics competition had only about 5% female participation. Again, we've seen a lot of this movement recently where there's a lot of focus on narrowing the gap, and this story seems to show that it may be going the wrong way. I mean, is this just an aberration, or is this something that we should be concerned about, or or could it be a little bit of both? Um, I think it should be thought of as both. Um, And really, I think it should be thought of as both, and then it's also a guidepost for where we are uh, to kind of look back at and see that there is an ebb and a flow to all of this. you know, unfortunately, there's not going to be a straight line towards, you know, full diversity in this. Um, you're going to have participation gaps uh, that are probably going to match the gaps um, in the marketplace or job place. Um, so over time, I think it should just explain and, you know, help us understand where we came from and how we need to do a better job of getting where we want to go. Yeah, I find myself, when I look at some of these stories, feeling like, okay, here's another story about diversity. We get it. Okay, it's already, we, there's enough of these already. But then you see a story like this and you realize it's not nearly enough yet and it won't be enough until it is something that is just commonplace and it's closer to the same ratio of men to women in, in, in the world, you know, closer to a 50-50 ratio. I think it's a little bit more uh, female than male. But Regardless of that, we're we're not there yet. And even though I think we see these stories repeatedly, we have to realize not only is it going to take a while, we're not going to see the results of things that are being done now for quite some time. And I think it is important, like you said, just you got to keep pressing on with this and you got to keep pushing for diversity. Uh, otherwise, we're, we're going to see those numbers continue to either go down or stay stagnant. And that's definitely not good for tech as a whole, I wouldn't say. I would say that you could definitely say or I, I would say you could definitely tell when it starts to make a lot of headway is when you start getting negative stories about it. That's a cultural shift that will exist um, essentially in the paradigm that is saying that there are too many women in that, and that's kind of when you know you're getting closer to that point where you're, you're actually in the right direction. So when some of those things become a little more mainstream and become a little more, um, you know, what we're seeing in the world, more negativity towards us, maybe that's when we see that we've gotten where we need to be, or at least we're closer. Yeah, I mean, you look at the 1970s, um, the feminist movement versus uh, Phyllis Chiflet. Um, She really was a champion against the feminism cause. I mean, it was every, you know, negative stereotype you could possibly use, and she created a caricature of who these people were not realizing that their points were a, bunch, were a lot more nuanced and it it really informed a lot of what happened in the 1970s and how difficult that's those steps were towards you know you know basic basic equality so yeah so this is this is a much more complicated issue than just hey a couple stories and a couple people are pressing for you know women to be equal in these fields it's this is a long haul this isn't just a oh in the last year we've had a lot of these stories so um, continue to push on for this and to continue to, you know, highlight, especially as an educator, highlight as many females who are successful and make sure you're including females in these robotic competitions. I, I've seen some where they actually have their own female teams. Great. Whatever it takes to get uh, more women involved and realize this is something that they can do. And now 
the moment we've all been waiting for. It's Matt's Featured Segment. Please, someone give us a name. We don't want to just call it Matt's Featured Segment, and I'm just not creative enough. Matt, in your segment today, what do you have for us? Um, what I have is drones. drones Are you going to drone? Drones, drones. Will you drone on about drones? Yes, I do. All right. And as a certified drone pilot, um, I made I printed out a label and stuck it on my arm. I wear it when I go outside. And is that all it takes for certification these days? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, interesting. Um, basically, the whole uh, it's it's a Recode dot no, it's a TechCrunch article uh, that basically talks about a 3D robotics company that came up with a drone and they're trying to position it in education. To me, the the whole article just comes up with the most creative way that a drone company realized that the market is saturated and so they ported a fairly rudimentary open source system and are pitching it to schools and they're doing it in the most brilliant way possible. Because I read the article and thought about a million different ways that you could teach this to every student. And the way for that is, and I'm not really probably going to be any in line with this story at all because I think what I came up with is not very good, but I'm really sticking with it. Um, I have not thought of a different product that's come out in the past 20 years that is as versatile as a drone. When you take a product like this, an open source system that um, a computer science lab can get together and they can work on you know, being able to program different things. Imagine if you could program something in there where you did almost like playing FIFA where you you know, button mash a couple things and all of a sudden your drone does like a loop-de-loop or something like that. I don't like the way you're talking. It sounds like you claim I'm a button masher. I, I, don't, I don't like I it. don't believe I made that claim. It sounded like it. I believe somebody else made a, a statement. All right, let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> but you can have students working on something like that. You buy the drone that has the video camera on it. All of a sudden you're teaching business students how to sell a product. I mean, go around St. Petersburg, Florida or Tampa or any other municipality, there is going to be somebody who has a drone in that area who is making money off of a drone. They're going to be selling pictures to real estate agents. They're going to be doing videos for other things. Um, this is perfect for t photography students uh, that want to learn how to do wide sweeping angles um, with a drone and learning how to fly it and learning something like that. Um, 3D printers, being able to print out parts. My boss has a drone and you know, we have all the schematics, so if he ever breaks anything, we can easily print something out. I do not know of a more complete thing that you could basically teach any class with. And I'm not even like all that pro drone. I just think that <laughs> the way that they've pitched this as an educational product, it's super complete. Yeah, I mean, I think it, we always get to this, especially with education in general, but educational technology specifically. These devices, and it sounds like you're saying that drones are a pretty complete device, a lot of different ways and areas of which to attack this for education uh, in one single device. Uh, it still needs more than just the device, right? There has to be plans around it, ways to use it in order to teach those things to them. It's fine yeah. that it's it's able to do those things, but how do you put a curriculum around it and make that work? But it sounds like there's a lot of options based on what you're talking about. Well, and, and the company themselves has a lot of different curriculum that sort of go along with it, and you can buy into the full complete package, and it teaches you how to do everything. For me personally, I don't know that, you know, I know that that's sort of an easy thing and that a company come up, can come up with their own way to teach about it a certain type of thing and buying into proprietary software and all that jazz, I don't know that that's necessarily 
the way I think that it should be done. Um, but they have come up with a full curriculum, you know, about how you can teach and have education around a drone. Because when I first saw the article, I just thought, what does a drone have to do with education other than, you know, teaching a kid how to fly it over, you know, a to his buddy's and... car and, you know, somebody gives him a Coke and he can take it into his house because they don't allow soda or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, know. I'm sure, and I'm sure teenagers will be finding ways to do that as well, and, and youngsters. But I mean, it sounds like there's uses for education. I, I believe in this story they they said that there's a discount for education. Is that correct? Yeah, and but it's it... it's on the higher end of all of this stuff. Okay, so it's not like a massive discount or anything. No, I mean you can buy a drone for you can buy a drone for forty dollars all the way up to five thousand dollars, and then you can spend a hundred million dollars on. You know, one that flies all around the world and, you know, does stuff. But Now, there are safety concerns, are there not, Matt? Yes. Do we, is it something that schools should shy away from or are they going to shy away from because of some of these safety concerns? Or uh, what, do you, what is your opinion on that? Well, um, I don't think they should shy away from it for safety concerns. For bodily injury is probably the biggest thing. Um these spin at like 20,000 RPMs, and if it hits your arm or your finger or your face, you will be disfigured. That is a fact. Um, what I really like is if you have one that you can get the schematics for a 3D printer, you can actually create safety balls that around that exist around them, like little geodesic domes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one cool way. Um, as far as other safety concerns, like it, unfortunately, in the news, there have been you know a couple different instances where a drone falls into sporting events. Big tennis match recently, perhaps yeah, um, U.S. Open style. That could have been a very, very dangerous um, and life-altering problem. Um, luckily, the worst thing that happened was that it broke on a chair, um, and that the teacher himself was actually arrested because uh, it could have gone vastly different. Um, yeah, but you know, at the end of the day, too, Matt. We have driver's ed too, and cars kill you know tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people every year. I mean, it's it's not there are no things that are without risk, especially when you're talking about vehicles. Um, I I think to me the interesting part here is how do we are we using this to help train? I mean, they're going to be using these things in the future, right? Whether or not whether we like it or not, and whether what they look like in the future. I mean, these are already being used in films. These are already be using for TV. I mean, this is something that you know a lot of um, you know photography, stock footage, like you said before, real estate. I mean, this is something that is an is an industry of its own, and you're going to need people that know how to do this and that are creative with how they use it. So, if anything else, this could, at its very basics, be a trade, even oh, if yeah. you weren't using it to teach anything else, but other than just learning how to fly it, like you said earlier. Oh, I we were flying. Um, my bosses went around. It takes 4K video. I mean, that's pretty cool. You you take you take the uh, the SD card out and pop it in the back of a 27 inch iMac. The iMac struggles to be able to process the information. Like that's how dense this is. That 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 levels the playing field. I mean, if you can, we were scanning around and flying around the park, and we were able to take snapshot photos outside into the bay, that that rivaled like hardcore photographer stuff. I mean, if you could create stock footage, that's a you are leveling the playing field. All of a sudden, you have created an open door, and you can start selling your stuff on Pond Five or whatever company out there that you want to sell it to. That's, I mean, 
definitely is, is cool stuff. And it's definitely something that sounds as though there is a large, um, a large amount of things that can be used with this for education. So it's definitely something to check out, especially if you're someone who's uh, in the robotics, uh, you know, that type of classroom who's teaching that kind of stuff. You know, if they have the curriculum that comes with it, maybe pitch this and see if you can purchase one of these guys and see just see what you can do with it because it certainly is the future and there's certainly going to be a lot of stuff that happens from here on out. Well, Matt, I like this new segment. I was very interested with the uh, drones. I did not ever really think of them as educational, to be quite honest with you, other than like what you mentioned, just kind of teaching them how to fly. But there's a lot of implications there, um, business and other ways that you discussed. Good stuff. If you want more information about that story, Matt's featured story, or any other stories that we talked about on today's show, go to edtechweeklyshow.com. You can follow me at on Twitter, at 4TechTeachers. That's the number four tech teachers. Just giving you some tech tips there. Uh, some links to some stories and some other cool stuff in educational technology. Please email the show, edtechweekly at gmail.com. We're looking for suggestions. Uh, let us know how we're doing. If you have any stories or resources you want to share, give Matt a nickname, please. He needs a nickname. I was going to call him the king of tech nerds, but he doesn't like that. So, And also his segment. Let's find a fun name for that. Don't leave it up to us. We're, come on. You don't want to do that. Also, Matt's favorite phone number for the show, call and leave a voicemail. That's at 305-92-TECH2, 305-92-TECH2. Um, again, we're going to play the first voicemail, second voicemail, third voicemail. We just need one. Somebody's just got to make the call. We know there's a few of you out there listening, so give us a call, leave us a message, and tell us what you think. And don't forget edtechweekly.reddit.com. We post links there. You can post links there, resources, and you can kind of interact with the edtech community. For those of you familiar with Reddit, like Matt, just go to reddit.com and you can search for forward slash edtechweekly. Is that right? Or just search for edtechweekly. Slash r slash r or slash r slash edtechweekly. See, I just feel like edtechweekly.reddit.com is easier. But that's just me. Matt, it's become a staple. We look for your words of wisdom before we end the show and move on to the next week. What do you have for us today? I said them earlier. That's the name of my segment. There you go. You've had it. Matt, thanks again for joining us. And stay tuned for next week on EdTech Weekly.